Thanks for joining us here at the Living Word Bible Church, where our vision is to glorify Jesus Christ by gathering his family, growing in faith, and giving out freely. You know, we started a, a new series entitled Light in Dark Times. These series have been really good, been really impactful for me. And this title in particular reminds me of a time when I was in college back in 2010 and went to a conference and it was titled Living in the Light and Living in the Darkness, which applied to my life. So I got to make sure I say the titles right because the two are very similar. But this title is entitled Light in Dark Times. Last week, Pastor Joplin took us through 1 John chapter 1 and we will continue the series today in 1 John chapter 2. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I'll be reading out the New Living Translation, commonly known as the NLT. But, you know, feel free to follow along in whichever version you have. People that are watching on screen, it'll be right there at the bottom of your screen. Go ahead and please stand for the reading of God's Word. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow brother, believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by darkness. You may be seated. You know, John starts off in verse 1 of chapter 2, giving us the reason, or one of the reasons, for him, him writing this letter. And he says he's writing this letter so that we will not sin. But if you're like me, your past, some days are just tougher than others, man, you got a ledger full of sin. But John is trying to write to us so that we won't, but we all know that at some point in our lives, we will sin. But John gives us more good news to encourage us because we know we're not going to live perfect lives. John says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Say that again. John says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And an advocate is someone who will plead on your behalf. And John is telling us, that Jesus is here to plead on our behalf. And Jesus is pleading to God, even though we're not in the presence of God, physically standing in front of him like Jesus is, man. Jesus is there, man, to represent us. Have you ever had to go to court? Uh, 201 Poplar here, or maybe in a past oh, yes. city that you lived in. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, not, it's not the best feeling, especially if you have to go by yourself. It can take all day. There can be long lines. You can, you can feel nervous because you don't know where to go. There's all these rooms and courtrooms. You're not just walking into one giant courtroom, but there's several courtrooms that you got to figure out. You can be intimidated thinking that you may be taken advantage of by the system. You can feel shame depending on why you're even going to court. It can be uneasy standing in front of a, a judge or standing in front of other lawyers. And in some courtrooms, you have to stand in front of the other people that are waiting their turn to stand in front of the judge. In most cases that I've experienced, the judge even talks harshly to you. So if you're already uneasy walking in, you're not going to feel any better once you start talking to the judge. But there's a difference going by yourself and going to court with the lawyer. 
I've got a few friends that are lawyers, and they're required to do pro bono work, work for free. So don't think my pockets are that deep where I just got lawyers on retainer that I can call up anytime I want to. Man, they, they do this work for free. And I'm telling you, the, the, the game changes when you go to court with a lawyer. You go from feeling like a nobody, feeling overwhelmed, to feeling like, man, you, you can call some shots right now. Man, the judge still controls the courtroom, but you feel like you have a chance now. You get to skip the line of people who don't have lawyers. So, man, normally if you go by yourself, you wait in this long line until they call your name. But if you go with a lawyer, man, you bypass everyone. The judge is a little bit more lenient with you. And the reason the judge is more lenient, because your lawyer knows certain lingo. He knows how to talk back to a judge that I may not know what to say. And in some cases, the lawyer can appear in court on your behalf without you even having to be there. And that's what Jesus does for us, man. He appears to God on our behalf. He pleads to God for us on our behalf. Man, every time we sin, Jesus is there to plead our case to the Father. We've got to get out this mindset of thinking, man, all right, I know I dedicated my life to Christ, so now, man, I know I've got to be perfect in everything I do. People are going to be watching. i got to make sure I don't sin. I know i got to keep up this, this, this mirage of making people think, man, I've got it all together. We've got to get out that mindset. As I've been given more responsibilities in the church, the more I feel like I have to be perfect. But as Christians, we will mess ourselves up trying to be perfect. All we need to do is follow Christ, who is perfect. As we follow Christ, we will start to see a transformation in our lives. You know, we'll go from, we won't ever become sinless, but we will start to sin less. John 3.30 says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Jesus does not only plead on our behalf, but he is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Some translations may say, I struggle with this word, propitiation for our sins. Man, Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay. He paid that price with his blood. Now, some people may speak on your behalf, but how many people do you know, man, that are willing to speak on your behalf and give up their life to pay your debt? But God has shown us mercy through the death of Jesus. God has shown us mercy by sending his one and only son to die on our behalf. Now, the word propitiation, it, it, it's the forgiving of sins, but it's not just the, the forgiving of sins. It's wiping them away completely. So it's not just like you ever heard of the, the, the phrase forgive but never forget. It, it, it's, it's not like, man, all right, I'm forgiving you. But I still remember what you did, man, when, when Christ pays that debt for us, man, it, it doesn't even exist anymore. It's nothing to even remember anymore. We go from a place of being sinners to now seen as, as righteous. You know, after I gave my life to Christ, I used to still call myself a sinner. But that's because I really didn't understand what Jesus had did on the cross for me. Man, when, when, when Christ died on that cross, when, man, when he came into my heart, when he changed my life, I'm no longer seen as a sinner, but I am now seen as righteous. But not through my own actions, but because of the actions that Christ did on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're no longer seen as sinners, we're seen as righteous. I think somebody needs to hear this today. We tend to hold on to our wrongdoing. 
which causes guilt, which causes shame that, that, that we're putting on ourselves. Just know when you give your life to Christ, man, your slate has been wiped clean. Not only does Jesus wipe your slate clean for past sins, but he's got you covered for future sins as well. Although Jesus has paid the debt that we could not pay on the cross, doesn't mean we have the license or the freedom now to go on sinning as we please. Because of his death, he's given us a new heart. He's transformed our lives to, to, to allow us to be obedient to his words now. John tells us in verse 3, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. Pastor Joplin used the word Gnostics last week. This is part of the group that John is addressing right now. These were people who believed in God spiritually, but they didn't believe in the man of God that, you know, that, that walked this earth. They also would memorize and know scriptures and know the word of God, but they didn't put it into practice. And it's great. A lot of us, I think, memorize scripture. A lot of us read our Bibles, but it will do us no good if all we do is read, but never put it into action. I tell my athletes, I tell my, my basketball team, I tell them, you know, it's good to know the plays. It's good to know what I've said. It's good to know how to execute when you get on the basketball court. But if once I put you onto the court, you forget everything that I ever told you, man, we're wasting time. John says, whoever says, if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Obeying God shows our love for him. God has shown his love to us by sending Jesus. It's our responsibility to show our love back to God by obeying him. If God dwells inside of us, we should want to keep his commands. It shouldn't feel like a burden to keep his commands. Oh, Lord, here goes another one. Here goes something else you're telling me to do. It should, it, it should enrich our lives to keep getting these commands. You know you've been transformed when you start to keep God's commands when no one's around. You know we try to keep a good image in front of people, right? Like we want to put on our best clothes. We want to make sure, man, I'm quoting this verse. Have you read this book? But when you're by yourself, what does your life with Christ look like then? We're not trying to keep God's commands to get saved. We're keeping his commands from a place of being saved. 1 John 2.6 says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Loving one another is a way that we can resemble or one way that we can look like Jesus or live our lives like Jesus did. Loving one another is a way that we can live our lives like Jesus did. Loving one another is an old commandment, but yet it's a new commandment as well. It's an old commandment because the people John are talking to have heard this word from the beginning. They, they've heard since they've given their life to Christ that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. They've heard it. You go back to Leviticus chapter 19, you will see it. It's there from the beginning. But it's also a new command that you see in John chapter 13, verse 34, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So instead of loving people as ourselves, we now love them as Christ has loved us. The new commandment takes Jonathan away from being the standard of love. 
And it, it puts the standard back on Christ because now Christ is our standard. It's a, it's a universal standard now. Whether I'm, It's not just me making up my standard, you making up your standard, somebody else making up another standard. It's like we're all under one umbrella now. Yeah. John says in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Why do we tend to hate one another? Why do we go through periods where it's like, man, we hate on each other or we talk bad about each other or we, we, we don't speak kind words about each other? What where, where does that happen at? Yeah, man. One reason I think it happens is because of sin. You see, back in Genesis, Satan was there to try to break up Adam and Eve. Their, not just their relationship with one another, but their relationship with God as well. Sin causes us to have disagreements over non-essential things, causing us to lose sight of who Christ is. I also think we have unhealthy views about sin. So we can look at sin as skyscrapers, right? We can look at them like they're skyscrapers. And we'll start to rank them, saying this sin is worse than another. So we'll look at the rapist and say, man, man, your sin is worse than the gossip. Or we'll look at someone who cheats on their spouse and say, man, your sin is worse than somebody that lies on their taxes. Or we'll see somebody that watches porn and say, man, you're worse than the drunkard. When we treat other sins worse than others, man, we will start to think God views sin like we view sin. But the truth of the matter is, man, God treats sin like sin. Yeah. So <laughs> what I mean by that is, yeah. man, God treats all sin as, man, we have separated ourselves from him. It's not that you've committed 10, I've committed one. We all have sinned, according to Romans 3.23, and fallen short of God's glory. All sin is equal. All sin separates us from God. No sin is worse than another in terms of separating us from God. We've made certain sins acceptable in our culture. And we've made other sins a death sentence. That's good, Jonathan. Man. We have a messed up view of relationships. That's another reason why I think we tend to have disagreements or hate one another, because we have a messed up view of relationships. We think because I have a hard time, because Jonathan may have a hard time forgiving others. You know, I think everybody has a hard time forgiving others, because I struggle with it. We think God is mad with us, because we walk around mad all the time. Come on, if we do not trust the depths of God's love, we will hinder the way we love one another. God's love knows no limits. Our view of relationships is messed up because I think a lot of times we put false expectations on people. And not only do we put false expectations on people, we put false expectations on God. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people that were never in the same room as me. So I'm, I'm talking to myself pretty much. I'm, I'm imagining them there, and I'm having this, man, this good debate with them. I, I typically win those. I, I will create these scenarios in my head that somebody's in the same room, and I'm like, man, they said this. I'm going to say this back to them. A lot of times, I will make up what the other person is thinking. I will make up, well, they said this, but this is what they really must have meant to say. I will make up, man... If I do confront them on this particular subject, I may not confront them because I already know I already know what they're going to say. We can always make up a reason. And the devil, you see in Revelation that he is the accuser of the brother. He is the accuser of the brothers and sisters that are in the faith. 
He wants us to accuse one another. He wants us to tear down our relationships with one another. Another thing that messes up our view of relationships is comparing ourselves to one another. So you will read stories in the Bible, and I've got this question a lot, especially back in my, my college days in the campus ministry. People would ask you, man, who's your favorite character in the Bible? And people would have an array of answers. Uh, one character people would typically call out is Paul. Man, I want, I want to look more like Paul. Or you would have women say, man, I really love Esther's story. I, I, I want to become more like Esther. Or we'll compare ourselves to the pastor and say, man, you know what? That's the example of what a man looks like, the pastor, the one that's preaching. Or we'll look at some somebody that leads a group and say, man, she's a great leader. I want to become more like her. And this will mess us up because we will start looking at those people as if they're perfect, taken away from God's glory. No. So while Paul may have had some impactful things that he did in the Bible, he also has some sin that's in there as well. So I want us to remember that Paul is not the standard. I am not the standard. Other people are not the standard. Christ is our standard. There's nothing wrong with having role models, but we can't start to idolize them. We can't take a piece of their lives and think, you know what? I want my whole life to look like them because all of us got some dark spots. Good, all of us got something in our closet that we don't want everybody to see. So don't think anybody has it all together, no matter what they may look like on Sunday morning. Now, one thing that hurts believers is I think we create this unrealistic or this legalistic way of living. You'll see things like, you know, man, I've got to read my Bible every morning at 530 on the dot. I can't be a second late. I got to be there at 530. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I've got to pray 15 times a day for 30 minutes. And I'm like, that's, that's not realistic. I'm a, I, I got to share the gospel with 10 people today. And all 10 people got to give their life to Christ today. Or I must memorize the entire book of Judges. I picked a random book. Got to memorize the entire book of Judges by midnight tonight. John lets us know in verses 12 through 14 that we're all in different places in our walks with Christ. He addresses the ones who are young in their faith. He lifts them up because he acknowledges that they have won their battle over the evil one. He acknowledges that God's word lives in their hearts. We were all young at a point in time in our walks with Christ. And God's word may have lived in our hearts, but it may not have always shown. I know it didn't always show for me. I know people would question me like, hey, Jonathan, you say you gave your life to Christ, man. Why are you still drinking like that? I can't tell you how many times I looked like the old Jonathan after I had given my life to Christ. But what I failed to remember was, is that I had given my life to Christ, which was the major point. We all got setbacks. We all, we all want to be at a certain point in life, but man, that's part of the growth process. Let us celebrate the fact that, man, some people have given their lives to Christ. Sometimes I think we're too quick to put people under a microscope saying, hey, your life don't, your life don't look like Christ today. You said yesterday you, you put your faith in Christ, but today it doesn't look like it. we got to stop being so quick to examine their lives as a way of discounting their Christianity. If we are truly saved, our actions will follow. They will come along. Give people time. Yeah. Don't be in such a rush to, to put your stamp of approval on. Yeah, that's good. Here at DWBC, we, we didn't want to have separate services. We didn't want to have a service for the kids. We did not want to have a service for the young adults. We didn't want to create all these different services. We wanted to have one service. And the reason we wanted one service is because we wanted to teach in such a way that whoever sat in here could understand us. 
that God's word wasn't meant for this group or this group or this group. It was meant for everyone that was saved. Yeah, man. It does my heart well to see when kids raise their hands during testimony times and, and give out a testimony. And it encourages me because it show, it reminds me that God can even work in the littlest of people. John also addresses another group because they are children of God. Now, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Don't get it messed up. We're all children of God. He's trying to make the point that it's just we're all at different points. He says that he lifts them up because they recognize that they have been forgiven. Sometimes as a young believer, it can always feel like the bottom is falling out. It can, it can sometimes feel like, man, I got to always rededicate my life to, to Christ. You know, my life don't look like such and such. So, man, am I, am I not doing something right? But with this next group, he's saying, man, you're going to be thankful. They're thankful because, man, they have been forgiven for their sins. This group that John has addressed and knows that they've been forgiven. This group recognizes how God is still gracious and faithful and merciful to us, even when we don't always show those certain qualities back to him. Then this last group that he lifts up is the mature believer. You know when you're talking to a mature believer. It just comes out of them. They, 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 you know, they, they, their mood doesn't really just change. You, you can go to them with the worst news in the world. They're, they're like, everything's all good. Just, just keep pressing through. God is faithful. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's some, I, I believe what you're saying, but do you understand the, the, the bottom is falling out, man? Like, like and, and the old folks would say, especially to the younger ones, just keep having birthdays. And the reason that they can say things like that is because of their experiences that they've had. Man, they've been walking with Christ for so long that they've seen the dark days where you seen out and like nothing ever was going to be right again. And they've seen God intervene in their lives to where it comes to a point where it's like, just thank you, Lord. Yeah, man. Thank you, God. Yeah. So when they talk to us younger or uh, uh, the next group of believers, they're, they're able to tell us like, man, everything's going to be okay. Even though it may not feel like it at this particular time, everything will be all right. The reason they can say, say this about God is because they experienced it. John goes on to warn us not to love this world. John warns us not to get caught up in the things of this world. This world is constantly trying to grab our affection, and the devil wants to use this to draw us away from God. There's nothing wrong with wanting a better job. There's nothing wrong with wanting a pay increase. I pray for it every other day. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well in school. There's nothing wrong with wanting good things for your kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a good parent. The issue comes in when we start making these secondary things the primary thing. Christ needs to be the primary thing. So what I mean is Christ should affect, you know, how I work on my job. Christ should affect how well I'm going to do in school. Christ should affect, you know, how I'm going to treat my kids rather than all those other things affecting how we're going to live in Christ. John goes on to say in verse 16, for the world offers a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything else and pride in our achievements and possessions. You know, the things in this world ultimately have no eternal value. When we leave this earth, we can't take our money with us. We can't take our clothes with us. Can't take our houses with us. Can't take our jobs with us. Can't take our pets with us or any other possession that we hold dear. This world is fading away. 
And I know the longer we live, it can kind of seem like we're going to be here forever. But the day is drawing near that Christ is coming back. And a lifetime of satisfaction is nothing compared to eternity. Right now will seem a whole lot less important when we start thinking about things in terms of eternity. John says at the end of verse 17, anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Do y'all remember those bracelets that used to say WWJD? What, what would Jesus do? So I started thinking to myself, what if we started asking ourselves before we did something or after we did something? You know, is this pleasing to God? Will this action I'm about to do, will this please God? Or after I did something, you know, did, did, that, did that please God? So before we respond to somebody on social media, think about it. Is it going to please God? Before we talk about somebody else behind their back and start spreading rumors and gossiping about them, is that pleasing to God? Before I say something back to my coworker who's been giving on my everlasting nerve, is that going to be pleasing to God? After I have ignored someone and I justify, man, they have wronged me, so I, I got a right to ignore them. Man, is that pleasing to God? I think if we start to ask ourselves that question, is this pleasing to God? Man, we would we will see God's love a whole lot more in this world. And we will start to appreciate the world a whole lot less. Jesus encourages us to remain faithful to what we were taught. He warns us that people around us, that there's people around us who, who look like us, who sound like us, who talk like us, who walk like us. But they are not actually with us. The thing about Christianity is, man, people can learn to do it. People can learn the lingo to impersonate being a Christian. And a way to identify some of these people is, is if they leave the church. That's what John tells us. Man, you can identify them if they leave the church. And I don't mean leaving one local body to go to another local body. I'm talking about leaving the body of believers. That you don't meet with anybody anymore. I mean those who no longer associate themselves with Christ. John says if, if they belonged with us, then they would have stayed with us. They left this proof that they did not belong with us. John goes on in verse 22 to say that anyone who says Jesus is not the Christ has no faith. So remember that John is talking to a group of Gnostics that Believe in God, the spiritual person, the one that rules over heaven, but doesn't believe in the Son of Man. And so once you start picking and choosing which parts of Christianity you want to start to believe, or which parts of Christianity you feel is right or wrong, man, you're creating a whole different religion. You can't believe in God, but not believe in His Son. You can't believe in Jesus, but not believe in His Father. If we remain faithful, we will enjoy the eternal life that has been promised to us. Man, there are people in this world that want to lead us astray. There are people in this world that want to take us away from following Christ. And unfortunately, these people aren't just waiting outside for us. They're not just waiting on us to leave service to try to get us to go astray. No, no, they've made their way inside the church. And like I was saying earlier, they may look like us. They may even talk like us. They've made their way in. They know the church lingo. They appear to be saved on the outside. But man, 
we, we see in the scriptures, they are whitewashed tombs on the inside. The only way to know the difference between somebody of the faith and somebody that is an imposter, somebody that is imposing, is by knowing the truth about God. So if you don't know the truth about God, you don't read your scriptures, you don't know what the word actually says, you will be led astray by those who to continue to try to impersonate God's word. Some ways that John has given us to, to recognize these people, though, man, you'll start to see it in their lives. Man, they won't love one another. They'll love the things of this world. They won't grow in their faith. And then eventually they will leave the church. They also deny certain parts of the Christian faith. Now, don't go, don't hear this and go around trying to be the Christian lie detective. Like I said earlier, don't just go start putting people under the microscope. John tells us that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, which guides us in all truth. So since we're being guided in this truth, we will know if someone is not telling the truth. Jesus leaves us with one final thought. He leaves us with the thought of remain in fellowship with Christ. Every day that passes, every day that goes by is a day closer to Christ's return. So my hope for us is that when Christ comes back, he finds us doing what's right in his sight. He finds us in fellowship with him. He finds us full of courage. He, he finds us not, not, not going away from him, but drawing near to him. To my fellow believers, remain faithful. I want to give an invitation to those who are not of the faith. If you feel God is calling you out of darkness and calling you into the light, if you feel like God is moving on your hearts to have a relationship with him, if you're watching online, feel free to email us. But if you're here in the room and you would like to talk to myself or Pastor Joplin or Minister Frederick Macklin, feel free to get with us at the end of service. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for your word. Thank you for this time, Lord. Just thank you for being so good to us and, and, and gracious how you are to us, Lord. Lord, I know we want some days to look better than others, or we want certain days to look like we think they should look, Lord. But I pray that we would trust you, Lord. That at the end of the day, Lord, we would get down on our get down on our knees, Lord, and just talk to you, Lord. That we would cast our doubts on you, Lord. But not only cast our doubts, Lord, we would we would be reminded of the good things that you've done in our lives as well. That we would give thanks, Lord, at least for a man sending your son Jesus Christ to us, Lord. Lord, you do a lot of good things in our life, Lord. And I, I know for myself personally, I can take that for granted, Lord. So I thank you for another day. And as the day comes closer to you coming back, Lord, Lord, I pray that we are found ready to go with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.